Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Luke 11. So as you're getting your Bibles, as you find your Bibles, turn there. And I'm going to have you stand up with me once you find it. Wow, a lot of you are beating me. Good job. We're going to be in Luke 11, starting in verse 14. And we, the reason we stand for the reading of the scriptures is we want to honor this word. It's not just another word. When we open our Bibles, when we open the word of God, it is not the same as if I was to be in some book club or open up something inspirational. We believe that we are holding the authoritative word of God. And we believe that we stand and we honor his words that he's saying to us. And after I read, if you're new, I will say um, this is the word of the Lord and the church's response is thanks be to God. It is that agreement together that what we are about to study today is not just man's words. It's not about me. It's actually that we would receive a word from him. So with that, we're going to start in verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, Balbilzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Bilzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Bilzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left When it arrives, it finds the house swept and clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the son of man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. That we just covered a lot of scripture. 
And I think there are so many ways that we could go and that we could see what God has to say, that his word, his word is so endless that we could spend so much time just here. But I believe that even in continuation of what God has been doing, it's this, this crazy thing. We're in a Luke series that we've been in for a long time, but we had this, this teaching in the new year of this season of connection to be connected to God, to be one with him, to know him, to see him, and to move from that to last week, there was so many of us that said, Holy Spirit, I just want more of you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome to be here. And I think that what God is doing is he is stirring up in this house to be a house that is, and Alex said it already, he started at the consecrated house, this house that is consecrated to the purpose of knowing and being with God. And there is something in that holiness that he is stirring in this people. There's something in that um, that I think he is doing among us that we have, we have a response to make, that we have a response to make to that invitation of God of, will you be my people? I, uh, Isaiah 56, I was in, we were in a staff meeting, I think, when the Lord brought my attention to the passage in Isaiah 56. And It calls the house of God, the people of God, a house of prayer. I think that he's doing that here, that he is making us a people of prayer. And that doesn't mean that we're a people who we just wake up in the morning and we we pray to God. We tell him the things that we want, the things that we're thinking of. No, a house of prayer is a people, a person. I am defined by my communication with God, by my connectedness to him, that I am defined by the fact that even like Paul says that I can pray without ceasing. Oh, I'm, I'm connected to him. I'm in constant communication with him. And this passage in Luke 11, when we come to Jesus is casting out the demon, right? And he has the accusers come at him. There's so much to be learned here, right? About spiritual warfare. I'm actually gonna point you guys. There was a great spiritual warfare series that was done um, a a while back, probably a year, I don't know when. We did it a while back. It's on our website and it's so much better than anything that I could give you guys on spiritual warfare in that sense today. It goes over the why, the, the truth and the lies that we live in, how we go about spiritual warfare. So please go back and listen to that because I think that that's important here in this passage. But I think that where our attention is supposed to go today is not necessarily on that initial Jesus driving out the demon. He actually spends, Luke spends a really short time talking about the miracle and the bulk of the time talking about Jesus's response. And Jesus's response to his accusers is all about the house. He uses the analogy three times of the house. And I think that in what Jesus is giving us today, that he's actually gonna show us how to be the house, how to be, you are a dwelling place. Whether you believe that yet or not, that's what we're gonna talk about today. You are a dwelling place. And like Alex already said earlier in the welcome, that you are a dwelling place that was made for God to dwell, to be consecrated unto him. The truth about you, about who you are, is that you were made to be dwelt And if it is not by God, it will be by all kinds of other things. And so we come as the people of God and we come to his word and we say, well, Jesus, teach us how to be your dwelling place. And I think in Luke 11, that is a big part of what Jesus is doing. For the first accusers that come at him, right? They say, oh, you're casting out demons by Beelzebul. And Jesus spends the next good piece of of time responding to these accusers. And in his response, I think he reveals the truth about what it is to be, not only what the truth is about the demonic, but what that means about who we are as we are spiritual and physical and the world that is true around us, it's connected. 
You can't actually sit in a passage and learn about, oh, what, what do the demons do and not learn about how you were created to be? Because what they do is they cling to what is good and they take advantage of what God has created. And God says, oh, I have a purpose for what I've created. I have a purpose for you. I have a purpose for you as a dwelling place. And what Jesus is saying is he's coming and saying there will be things that the devil will try to destroy. There'll be ways that he will try to twist the dwelling place that it's used for something other than me. Do not let it. And so today, my water bottle. That's why you don't put it on the ground. Um, But I think today when we go through these three ways, Jesus responds with the three houses. And in those three houses, I think he's teaching us how to be the house how to be the dwelling place of God. So the first one that we're gonna look at is that in verse 17, he starts his response. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. So it's that house divided is the first house. And actually, before I keep going, I kind of want to define what I'm saying when I say house. I think I'm probably assuming a lot when I use that word. When I say house, I'm actually talking about what, what Jesus talks about. The first time we see him talk about it is he talks about the house of God. We see it in the Old Testament. The temple is the house of God. We even see Jesus earlier in Matthew when he's tearing out the, the tables of, I think I have a slide with the three verses on it. Is that there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in John 2, 16, he says, stop turning my father's house into a market. My father's house, the temple, the dwelling place of God himself. The temple is the dwelling place of God himself. And what Jesus had made possible for us as new covenant believers is that we are the new temples. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. Do you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? When I talk about the house, do you believe that? That you are made to be the house of God, the dwelling place of God. And it's not just me, it's us. There's this beautiful connectedness that we see in 1 Corinthians of, oh, it's a a me and it's a us, it's the church. We cannot disconnect from one another. We cannot disconnect the fact that how I host his presence will actually impact what we experience together that how I consecrate my house, how I live my life will impact you as my brother and my sister. It will impact this house. Saints Hill Church will be defined by the way each of us consecrates our house. It's not just about the people who come on stage. It's about the hunger in the room, the fact that there is a people that will be holy and consecrated unto God. So I cannot separate myself from you. And I don't want to. I want to be a part of this family of God. And I want to take the responsibility to say, will I consecrate this house? Will I give myself to God? And so the first one to go back to that divided kingdom is a divided house. I think this, this response of Jesus is pretty, it's the, almost the stating the obvious one. Saying, okay, the house cannot be divided. The same way a king does not go into battle and turn on his own soldiers and expect to win the war, Right? It's this very obvious thing of if I am to cast out demons, if I am expelling evil, if I am saying, no, evil, you cannot stay here, you must go, how could I be of the kingdom of evil? That's the kingdom of heaven. That's what the kingdom of heaven does. That's God's stuff. What is good and beautiful and perfect comes from him. So a kingdom cannot be divided and saying, oh, no, he's actually, he's evil. If you're casting out evil, you are not for evil. 
if you are good, if you are doing things that are good, those things are from God. The scriptures teach us that anything that is good and perfect and beautiful comes from him alone, from the father of lights. So a kingdom cannot be divided. And if we're looking at the house as this dwelling place of God that I am to be, what, what does that mean for us? I cannot be divided. My affections cannot be divided. I cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve both God and money. I cannot serve both God and myself. I cannot be dwelt by both God and evil. I cannot have two masters. And I think this morning, there's this, this invitation that Jesus is giving with the divided house is saying, you don't have to be divided anymore. You don't have to be dwelt by anything else other than me. And I think there's probably some of us in this room that I was thinking about this for myself, that we, we can kid ourselves that to not make a decision to say, oh, okay, well, I'm not gonna like choose God, but I'm also not gonna choose anything else. And I think all things to all people, what this verse is showing us is that in making no choice at all, you are making a choice. You are being dwelt by something when you do not make a choice. And we live in a culture, uh, I have a quote from, it's an author and one of her, this is a quote that's used at a lot of like inspirational conferences. Things are like, take charge of your life and your career and what you're doing. It's Elaine Maxwell and she says this, my will shall shape the future. Whether I fail or succeed shall be no man's doing but my own. I am the force. I can clear any obstacle before me or I can be lost in the maze. My choice, my responsibility, win or lose, only I hold the key to my destiny. Only I hold the key to my destiny. And I think I've read quotes like this before or sat in meetings like that before. Where I'm like, yeah, I've got this. It is, this is my life, my destiny. I'm the captain of my ship. And actually what Jesus is saying here is that if you say I hold the key to my destiny, you have taken those keys from him. You have said, oh, I will be the captain of my ship. And you've said, oh, actually, God, I will, I'll take this that you actually, you cannot be the captain of your own destiny. You cannot hold the keys to your own life and say that God is the one who holds them. You cannot have a divided house. You cannot have a house where you say that you hold the authority and also give it to him. It is an all or nothing reality that we live in, that your house must be consecrated unto something. And if you choose to consecrate it unto yourself, if you choose to say, okay, I will champion my own destiny, you'll actually miss out on the one you were created for because you were created to be the dwelling place of God. You were created to receive from him your dreams, your destiny, for, to have him as your ultimate vision. I think we love to create vision for our lives. We love to think about what, what's next in my five-year plan and all of that can be good if the house is consecrated unto him. The dreams are from him. The vision is from him. It is for him and it is not for myself. I think, I know I do. I make dreams all the time for my life that are how I want them to be and I start to build it because eventually I wanna be able to have this kind of house. I wanna be able to give my son this kind of life, all really beautiful things. But I take the keys from him and I say, ah, oh, I think that I can champion this future better than you can. I think that I can create for myself a future that is better than what you hold. And that is the lie that we believe when we think that we are the captains of our own destiny. Because in doing so, we actually open up ourselves to the dwelling of things that are not God. A house divided cannot stand. It will not be a divided house. The second thing that Jesus 
pushes this point with is the strong man. He says in verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. So what Jesus is saying here, I always read that verse and I was like, oh, Jesus is like, the strong man is Jesus and someone's trying to get in something. But what this verse is actually saying is that Satan is the strong man and Jesus is plundering him. That there is no man stronger than Jesus. If Satan is at the door, the same way that Satan was at the door of the man with the mute demon, that he was, he was the one that was dwelling in the house, Jesus came and said, no, I will overpower you. I will plunder you and I will take back everything that has been stolen. And what Jesus does in you when you let him, you, there's, that's the reality. He doesn't call Satan a strong man because there's no strength to the demonic. There might be things in your life. There might be darkness that you feel. There might be things that have clung to you that they feel powerful. And you say, I don't know how I could ever shake this. And that is real. And the truth is that you cannot shake it. But Jesus is the strong man who can take it back for you. Jesus is the strong man who will come. And if you let him, he will come and he will plunder the enemy. And he will say, oh, I will take everything that has been stolen from you. And I will give it back to you more, more than it was before. Do we believe that Jesus is the only one worthy to be the guard at the door? The only one worthy to come to plunder the strong man? That if you have darkness in your life, if you have things you feel like you haven't been able to beat, you have healing that you've been going after and you're like, I don't know like if I will ever see this. I don't know if I will ever see the healing in my life that I wanna see. Give Jesus the vision. Let him be the strong man. Trust that he is strong enough to defeat the actions of the enemy in your life. That he is strong enough to defeat the lies that we believe. That there is truth to be found in him and him alone that he is the strongest one, the only one who is able to dwell in you and to protect your soul, the only one that your soul was created for. The third way that Jesus pushes this continuing forward is when he talks about the impure spirit. He says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through the arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept, clean, put in order, then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. The picture that Jesus is painting here is, I think, something that we often do. That we, we, put, our, we put our own house in order. Or you talk to people that are like, oh, I don't know God, but I feel peace. Oh, I don't know God, but I think that I have a life that is in order. I have things as I want. I'm happy. I'm happy, I live a good life, and I do not have God. And we look at them and we're like, well, but you still need him. But the truth of the scriptures is that you do need him. You need to be dwelt by him because even if you think that your house is in order, you think that you have found peace, if it is not in Jesus, it is temporary and it is a lie. And it is what is happening in that verse is that the spirit is the spirits left the house and you're like, oh, I can clean it up and it feels good, but that spirit will return. What is going to wreck the house will come if Jesus is not the one dwelling in it. And what we have to know is that life without him is not good. No matter what you're experiencing, the amount of money you've accumulated, the, the happiness, the perceived happiness that you feel, 
If Jesus is not there, it is not a full life. It is not an in-order life for the only one that can order life is the one who did it from the very beginning. In Genesis, it says that he brought order out of chaos. He took a chaotic world and he ordered it. And that is what he does in each of us. He takes it and he orders it. He orders the chaos we didn't even know was there when we let him. We have to let Jesus be the only one to give us order because the the person that we listen to on the podcast, they're not gonna give our soul order. I cannot give my own soul order. The book that I read that, oh, I feel like this is giving me so many good rules for life. It cannot order my soul for only Jesus can do that. There is no amount of knowledge that can order your soul. I think about, I think about that. We come and we gather together on a Sunday, but guess what? There are a thousand other places that you could go and you could learn about the Bible way better teachers than me that you could go and you could learn about the Bible. But the beauty of coming and being in the presence of God and learning from his word is that it is not about knowledge. It is about encountering God that he might change and shape our souls by his truth. When we gather as the community of the believers, there's a truth we are entering into is that, oh, as the body, I will stand for this and I will say, I wanna be a consecrated bride. When I was, when we were worshiping this morning, I looked around this room and I feel like, God reminded me of just the life that I've lived of. I came to him when I was uh, in high school. I came to really know the Lord. And I remember being a part of a community of believers and I got to walk with people and there's been ups and there's been downs. And I stood in this room today and I looked around at the faith in this room. I looked around at the people in this room who are hungry for God. And I said, God, thank you that I get to be here. Thank you that I get to be in the middle of a work that you are doing with people who genuinely love you. There is a genuine love of God in this room, a hunger to see him come, to see him move, to see what he is like. And I, I am like lost for words for how much it means to be given the gift to be here, to be given the gift to be now, to be given the gift of being around hunger. And there's something about being around hunger is that sometimes you can be in the room and you're like, there's hungry people and you can feel like it's enough to kind of feed off someone else's hunger. You can feel like on a Sunday, like, oh, that was so good. And we, I, I felt the presence and you go about your week. But if you do not have your own hunger, if you do not have God dwelling within you, if you do not have him stoking your fire, it is not enough. Come and receive of the hunger of the body of God that you might have it for yourself that you might go out and live as a living temple. A, we've used that analogy before, as a fountain of God. Because the goal is not that you come here, get filled up, go get dry and come back. No, the goal is that you know God, Holy Spirit dwelling within you and you go out in your week and you come back so full, you spill out on everybody else. That you come in this room and you have so much to give because all throughout your week, oh, God lives with me. God is in me. I am for him. I cannot separate myself from him. And because of that, I am watching heaven come to earth in my life moment by moment. I am watching myself be changed moment by moment. And I get to come here and I get to just shower him in praise. And I get to give away what I've got to all the people around me. And I get to build up the body that we might go and keep going. And he will continue to build on that. He is shaping us to be that kind of people people that's not after knowledge. We're not after some kind of momentary high. We are after full soul transformation, full surrender to King Jesus, that he might be the owner of this house.
after Jesus says all this, there's a woman in the crowd who calls out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. In what he just said, there is something that as she's listening, she says, whoa, how lucky is even the woman who got to like give birth to you? You are amazing. I've never seen anyone like you. And Jesus' response is that the real blessed ones are the ones who would hear this and would obey it. It is not the ones who I'm connected to because I was born there. It is the ones who will hear the words that I'm saying and they will do as I say. Because the obedience to this, what does obedience to this look like? It is to set up a dwelling place for God, to believe that he is the strong man, to believe that he is the only one worthy to make a home in us, to obey his word and be blessed by it. And Jesus does not stop there, but he responds to that second accuser, right? There's the first that says, oh, you're casting out demons by Bilzebul. And then there's the second who asks for a sign. They test him by asking for a sign from heaven, which funny timing because Jesus has already given a sign, right? This is coming right after he cast a demon out of a mute man and he is no longer mute. That is a, if I've ever seen a sign, that's a sign that this guy is who he says he is. But the crowd start to gather and they're asking for a sign and they're asking, oh no, would you prove it to us? Would you prove to us that you are who you say you are? And in verse 29, these crowds, they continue to increase. And Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the son of man be to this generation. And I think there is here this call to repentance. There is an air of discipline. But as I read that verse this week, it was the first time that I was astounded by the great love of God. Because the sign of Jonah, if we look in Matthew, I'm going to turn to it really fast. Let me grab it. Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What does Jesus point to as the sign of Jonah? The death, the burial, the resurrection that he would accomplish. The great love is not to, he's like, you are a wicked generation. But what I see Jesus say in this verse is you are a wicked generation that I want to come to know me, that I want to be with. So much so that I will give you a sign. It's not the one you're asking me for right now. It is a better sign. It is that I will die. I will give myself away for you that you no longer have to be a wicked generation. You can be a holy people set apart for me. You can be a people that I know. And he says this to his accusers, yes, to draw them to repentance, but to point forward to what he will do, to point forward to the fact that Jesus would die for his accusers, that he might know him. What like insane love, what insane compassion on those people that as the crowd would gather and they're all, just prove yourself, prove yourself. He would give himself for them. He would give himself for them and he would say, come and repent that you might be with me. I will give you the sign of Jonah. It's a better sign. 
It's a better sign than the casting out of a demon. It's a better sign than a physical healing. It's a better sign than all these ways that you are seeing heaven come because it is the one sign that will make possible life with him. The heaven would continue to come again and again as we walk with Jesus. He will give the sign of Jonah. He is a better Jonah. He is the one who his three days did not just mean the repentance and life of a nation. His three days meant that we are now invited into the kingdom of God. The veil is torn. We get to know Jesus. We get to walk with him. He is a greater Jonah. His second piece that he says there is that the queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The queen he's talking about is the queen of Sheba. We see her come. She hears about Solomon, his wisdom, his wealth, his kingdom. And she says, oh, I will leave my kingdom. I will leave just to see what this is to see who this man is. It says she brought her gifts and she also brought questions to test him, to test the wisdom. The crazy thing about the Queen of Sheba, she would travel so far just to see a glimpse of Solomon when the crowd that is gathering around Jesus, they have him in their midst and they do not recognize that someone greater than Solomon has come that someone greater than Solomon is here, that the kind of person that you would leave everything just to go and look at them. Jesus says, I'm here, right here in front of you and I'm better, I'm better. I will ask you to leave your kingdom the way that the queen of Sheba did, but it is to take part of the kingdom that I'm making, the kingdom that I'm inaugurating heaven on earth that you are, you can participate in. You don't just have to come and look at me and ask me questions. You get to come and I will live in you. I will dwell in you. I will be with you. And if you were impressed by Solomon, just wait and see what I'm like. There might be the people that you look to in your life, the people that impress you, the people that you say, oh, I want to be like that. Look at what they, look at what they have, who they are. We declare at the church that there is no greater goal, no greater person to look to than Jesus Christ himself. And that we have the gift of him not just being looked at. We don't just look at a picture of Jesus on the cross and that's the life we get to live. I mean, honestly, that would be like, even that is awesome to get to just look at him. But he says, no, you won't just look at me. You will live with me. You will be with me. I will dwell in you. You were made to be a dwelling place and I've made it possible that I'm the one. The Holy Spirit is the one that gets to live, live inside you, live with you, for you. You would be consecrated unto me. And how could you see that God, Jesus himself, greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than any of the prophets that they've known until this point, greater than anyone that we could ever imagine. And he says, I want to dwell in you. Consecrate your house unto me. The sign of Jonah, the sign of looking at Solomon is that God is worthy of your house. He is worthy of your house. He is better than we could imagine. And giving up, whatever there is to give up. To give up all of me, it's nothing compared to him. I had um, just this this thought of how I think we often treat our house and God as a guest in it. That I will, in seasons when I'm like, oh God, I'm needy for you. We let him in. 
right? We let him into the room that we want him to take care of. We're like, oh God, this is like my financial room. I'm gonna put an air mattress out for you. You can stay here, kind of fix it. And then, then the house will be good. Or, oh, okay, God, over, this is my marriage room. I'm gonna invite you to come. Set yourself up in here and just, I know that you can fix this marriage. So take your time. I'll, I'll let you have the marriage room for yourself for a while. And then let me know when, it's, when you're done. But what actually he's saying in Luke is that you do not open the door and invite Jesus in as a guest. You open your door and you hand him the deed to your house. You hand him the key to your house and you say, this isn't mine anymore. Come in and reveal all the things that I've hidden. Come in and show me what needs to go. Oh, that piece of furniture, I I love it so much, but take it. Oh, that, that wall, I put it up on purpose, but God, you can knock it down. This analogy of the house is inviting us to say like, oh no, God, you're not just an, an, you're not an honored guest. You are the new owner. There cannot be two owners. So when I meet you, I hand over the ownership of my life to you. I hand over the ownership that I think that I wanna run myself and I give it to you. Whatever that means. Whatever I'm trying to protect, it's not worth it. Whatever I'm trying to protect, God, you are not satisfied with just being a guest. He must own the house. So I think we, this morning, we have an opportunity given by God to take inventory, to say, oh, do I have you just like bunked up in a room, the safe room, the guest room? Or do you own this place? Do you have access? I'm gonna invite the worship team to start coming up. There was a, um, as I was praying through this, there was a picture that I got. Just what I, what God wanted to do in me with this. And as he came into my house and he asked me, will you give me the keys? Yes, God, I'll give you the keys. I walked through the house. The house that was in my mind's, my mind's eye was, had like the beautiful built-in bookcases and all the things I love, the arched doorways. Um, and I remember seeing things that I was like, I don't, I don't know what you would change in here. It looks pretty good. <laughs> and Jesus started to tear down one of the walls that was in my house. And as he did, it revealed not just like another room, it opened up this, like, it was like floors above. There was a second floor, third floor, fourth floor, fifth, continuing on that I'd never seen before. That when we let God come and take ownership of our house, he says, oh no, it's not only what you will like give, what you will lose. For everything you lose for the kingdom is gain. I'm going to open up to you an unlimited life of walking with me that you will get to see heaven on earth, that actually you've been blind to all that I wanna do in you because you've been clinging to this one room. You've been clinging to this one thing. You've been clinging to having ownership over your own house because you wanna say, ah, I just, I don't know what it'll look like if I give it away. I actually like the things that I feel, the way that I want my life to go, if I give that away, I, I don't actually trust that you have more than that for me. But he does. Will we trust that God is the only one worthy to own the house? Will we let him open up our eyes to the things he wants to tear down, the things he wants to build? I'm not just giving you a picture of a God who's gonna come and demolish everything. It says that he is the one who brings order, 
that the things he cuts, the things he tears down are so that more fruit can live in your life. It is not unto no end. So you might know God, be known by him. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store or visit our website.